and we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount because we understand that in that sermon, Jesus is really describing the essentials of what life is meant to be like in his kingdom, living in his kingdom now. And we've been journeying through it, and we've learned that his kingdom is quite upside down with the kingdom when we compare it to the kingdom of this world. You know, the, the kingdom of the world says you're going to be accepted if you dress a certain way, if you have a certain body type, right? If you have a certain skin color, certain gifts, if you have a certain amount of money, or if you come from a certain family or certain demographic area, then you'll be accepted. But God's kingdom says anyone anywhere can be accepted. You just got to have Jesus as your king. You just got to be willing to receive him and have him as your king. The kingdom of God says, hey, when a person hurts you, you don't do like the kingdom of the world and you hurt them back. You don't put them in, your, in their place. You don't avenge yourself. You forgive. You work for reconciliation. You look to extend blessing. You look to do good for those that hurt you, even your enemies. Talk about upside down. The world says manipulate people with your words. Tell white lies. Cut corners. Make commitments but don't feel obligated to keep them kingdom of God says, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no, right? The kingdom of God says, have no. The kingdom of the world says, have sex with as many people as you want. The kingdom of God says, don't even lust after someone that is not your spouse. The kingdom of the world says, fantasize about those things. The kingdom of of God says, no, keep your mind pure, and if you're married, honor your marriage commitment. The, the world says, hey, if you do anything good, make sure there's somebody videotaping it so they can go on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook so people can see you doing your good deeds. The kingdom of God says, quit caring so much about what people think. Do it for the Lord. Do it for them. Even do it in secret. You see, the the kingdom of God is so upside down, or we could say right side up compared with the kingdom of the world. This morning, last week, we talked about worry, right? Kingdom of the world says there's so much to worry about, so worry all the time, incessantly, right? Right? God's kingdom says, no, you have a good father in heaven who cares for you. You can be at peace. You can be at rest. This morning, we're going to check out what God's kingdom has to say about judging other people, how we view other people. When I was uh, preparing, I was thinking, though, that probably nobody in this room has an issue with this. And so we probably could just skip this part of the scripture and move on. Nobody? Right? Let's look at what Jesus has to say about this. Let me pray. Lord, your ways are life. Your ways are the truth. You, Jesus, living in your kingdom with you, 
taking on your kingdom's values is the way to abundant life. Lord, I pray that as we look at this topic of judging others, how we view other people, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would transform us, so that we are more fully devoted disciples of you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us understanding. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let me read to you Matthew 7, 1 through 7 here. Judge not, this is Jesus speaking, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. It's an interesting last uh, verse, isn't it? So, Jesus, he's saying, look, in my kingdom, people are going to be transformed in how they judge and view other people. First, here's what we need to be clear about. Jesus was not forbidding judging others. He wasn't forbidding judging others. You have to make judgments about a person to know if they have a speck in their eye or not. You have to make judgments about people if you're going to determine who are the pigs and who are the dogs. So Jesus is not forbidding judging. This all takes discernment, right? Even the Apostle Paul and James, the brother of Jesus, didn't think that Jesus was forbidding judging other people. Paul wrote, he wrote this in Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. James says this, said this, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Restoring the person that has been overtaken by sin or has wandered from the truth, that takes judgment. It takes judging them in their behavior. What then... Well, let me say this. Unfortunately, Christians have gotten this idea that it's unchristian to judge other people. And what has happened is the result of this is that there are people that are living in sin, that have wandered from the truth, that are going down the wrong path. And nobody in the Christian community calls them out, holds them accountable goes to them to restore them, because after all, that's unchristian. 
It's also resulted then in if a person is wandering and if somebody does confront them, the person that is confronted responds with anger because that person is judging me. That person is being unchristian. And when I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think this is exactly what the enemy wants. A misunderstanding of what Jesus is commanding here so that people walk in error and nobody comes to their assistance. Or if they do, the person that's walking in error is ticked off because who are you to judge me? We got to avoid this. So if Jesus, and, and, and let me ask you this, have you bought into this lie that all judging is wrong? Are you aware of people in your life close to you that are walking in error, but you have been unwilling to confront? Has someone confronted you and you've responded with anger and resentment and just you were upset? So this raises the question, what is Jesus forbidding in these verses? What is he forbidding? I think verses 3 through 5 give us the answer. Let's look at those verses. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus, in these verses, he's not forbidding good, healthy judgment. You wouldn't be able to live a day without good, healthy judgment. What he is forbidding in these verses is the ungodly, prideful, self-righteous judgmentalism that is often in our hearts. That's what he's forbidding. Let me talk a little bit about what judgmentalism is. And we see it from these verses here. Judgmentalism is focused on the speck in your brother's eye while having a log in your own eye. It's being too willing and too quick to condemn others, their actions, their behavior, while justifying, ignoring, or being oblivious to your sinful actions, sinful behavior. That, by the way, are often more despicable <laughs> than the brother, brother's actions and behaviors that you're judging. Here's another key distinction between good, healthy judging and judgmentalism. Judgmentalism is always motivated by pride. It's always motivated by this desire to elevate oneself over another. Good, healthy judging is motivated by love. It's, it's making um, judgments with the intent of seeking the welfare of the person that you have in mind. It's a key difference. Jud a judgmental heart is also quick to draw conclusions on very limited information. 
judgmental hearts do this. They have few facts, and they take those few facts, and they come to often wrong decisions and conclusions based on limited information. A judgmental heart really struggles to deal with the failings of others. And although the judgmental heart may not say this out loud, internally, even if unconsciously, they're thinking, why can't they be like me? The judgmental person usually, almost always, is a horrible listener. If they do listen, it's for the purpose of seeking more ammunition to further their biased viewpoint. That's when they listen. Do you have a judgmental heart? Are you quick to criticize? Are you quick to correct? Are you quick to condemn? Because another thing a judgmental heart will do is it will (laughs) draw a conclusion about a person on limited information, and that conclusion is typically an indefinite kind of decision and conclusion. They just completely write the person off. Are you quick to condemn? Are you quick to draw conclusions based on limited information? Do you like to elevate yourself above others? Do you like to win arguments? Are you a poor listener? Perhaps a better question is, how, if you were married, would your spouse answer these questions about you? What would they have to say? Does your spouse often feel parented? Like, You're their father or mother? Or do they feel like they're in a partnership? You all know when I preach, I'm preaching to myself first and foremost. Mary has specifically told me, I don't want you to feel like you're my dad. Hmm. If you're not married, how would the people closest to you answer these questions for you? The question is, something's going on in there. (laughs) Holy moly. Let the little children come to me. I'm telling you, though, those children weren't screaming. No. Um, So, the question becomes, if we are judgmental, And we often engage in judgmentalism. And this is an issue and a problem for us. How do we overcome it? That's the question. I think the answer is, with all of these things in the Sermon on the Mount, only Jesus can allow us to overcome these things in our hearts. And I think he typically does it in in the area of having a judgmental heart. The way he transforms us is he helps us to understand and see a few things. First of all, I think Jesus enables us to see that our knowledge is limited. It is limited. Matthew 7, 3 through 5, he's talking about like, look, you do not see clearly 
enough to really view and understand this person that you are judging. You don't see clearly enough, and that is often the case. We don't see properly. We don't see accurately. I think when we think that we can come to judgments quickly, we're we're pretending to be God, because only God sees people completely, accurately, and truthfully. I remember years ago when I was in grad school, a disheveled woman came into the grad class, and I remember having the thought, like, what is she doing here? And my whole attitude was changed once I learned her story. And actually, I, this judgmental heart was replaced with compassion and admiration for what this woman had been through and what she was currently going through. And in that moment, God impressed upon me, I have limited knowledge about people. I don't know their full story. Why am I so quickly to write people off as lost causes when I don't know what they've been through? If I was in their shoes, chances are I wouldn't even have lasted a mile. If I experienced a childhood like theirs, would I be doing as well as them? Do I really even know what they have tried? Am I open to the possibility that I'm not all-knowing? Often when I find myself engaging in judgmentalism, there are a couple questions that I can go to that usually stop it right in its tracks and, and, and their statements, too. So one of them is, there's probably more going on here than what I realize. If I did understand it all, I'm sure my heart would have more understanding for the person that's in front of me or that I'm thinking of. And I often think, if I experienced as much as they have experienced, would I be doing as well as them? And Only my prideful heart tells me that I would be doing as well, if not better, than the person. Secondly, we have limited knowledge. Secondly, our knowledge about ourselves is limited. Right here, (laughs) Jesus is saying that we can't even judge ourselves correctly, let alone other people. Why are you looking for the speck in your brother's eye when you got this big log in your own eye? We don't even see ourselves clearly. You probably can't see your biggest flaws. You probably can't see your biggest flaws, and I'll tell you why. Because they often masquerade as strengths. Cowardice. A person who is cowardice, that that can be disguised as someone who is a team player. When in reality, they don't want to rock the boat. And so they just go along with everything. A desire to control can be disguised as discipline. Right? Drivenness. A desire for human approval can be disguised as helpfulness. Pride can be disguised. Uh, disguised as uh, courage or boldness or confidence. 
irresponsibility or a lack of dis- discipline with finances can be disguised as generosity. Often the biggest logs in our own lives we cannot see. The, the vices that have the greatest grip on us and are affecting us more than we're, we can know because they're flying under the radar often look like virtues to us. And that's why the Lord spoke to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God, he poses a great question here. Who can truly know the heart? Who can know the heart's hidden desires, motivations, and values that are behind every choice a person makes in every behavior they engage in? If an individual can't fully know themselves, who can? God says in Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. God is the only one who sees us with 20-20 vision. We can't even do that. King David knew this, and that's why he went to God and he prayed. In Psalm 139, the psalm that Kevin read for us earlier O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And then at the end of this psalm, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David was saying, God, you know me better than I know myself. I can't even trust myself to judge myself. God, I need your help to see myself truthfully. And often when God allows us to see ourselves truthfully, what we see isn't very pretty, is it? It isn't. We get to see the logs in our own eyes. But what's awesome about that is he doesn't leave us there. He comes in with his grace and he helps to do, he empowers us to do log removal. This too should crush our judgmentalism. This should crush our judgmentalism, knowing that we, have re- that we receive such amazing grace for the logs in our eyes. How can we be judgmental when we have been given so much mercy? A person that understands this, a person that understands that they, that they have been forgiven much, they will love much. And God promises, look, if you want to be judgmental, and that's how you want to live, and you want to be quick to criticize, if you want to be quick to draw conclusions on limited information, if you want to be just quick to condemn other people, guess what? I will judge you that way. If, if that's how you want it, that's what I'll do with you. That's why Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured 
back to you. We should be slow, so slow to judge others, knowing that we struggle to draw right conclusions about other people, and we struggle to even draw right conclusions about ourselves. How else does Jesus want to uproot the pride and judgmentalism in our heart? He wants us to see our limited knowledge about other people, even ourselves. And thirdly, he wants us to see that judgmentalism stunts our spiritual growth, which leads to a loss of joy and an ineffective witness. So maybe one of these stumbling blocks to discipleship is our own judgmentalism. Spiritual growth takes effort on our part. God produces the growth, but we're not passive in the process. It takes focus. It requires our time. And if we're consumed with the specks in other people's eyes, we are going to waste time that we could be focused on partnering with Jesus to see our logs chopped up and removed. And since happiness is on the far side of holiness, we will forfeit much joy because we are not growing in holiness. What's more, if our spiritual growth is compromised, so will be our witness. We must grow spiritually in order to more accurately reflect God and his glory, his character, his behavior. And the more it does, the more our lives display Christ's supreme worth to a watching world. But when it doesn't, when we are not growing spiritually, it promotes a false image of God. If we wave our Christian flag, right, our Christian banner, but we live in a spirit of judgmentalism, we're going to have a whole bunch of people all across Maslin and the rest of the world having a false view of who God is and what he's about. And this has already happened, hasn't it? In 2007, Barna, a research group, they did a study on a group, a big, they did a study on 16 to 29-year-olds that were non-Christians. The number two way that the, this group of individuals described Christians, judgmental. 87% of 16 to 29-year-olds described Christians as judgmental. Christians just want to tell you how wrong that you are. Christians don't really care to listen. Right? It's so sad that there are so many people walking around thinking that God is this judgmental God that is just looking to throw the hammer down on you. Like, that's his only concern. Our behavior has convinced a whole bunch of people that Jesus came to condemn the world and not save it. Abundant lifers, may we judge. May we discern between right and wrong. May we hold each other accountable. May we speak up when something is off. May we restore the wanderer. May we confront the person who has veered from the truth. 
but only after we've done these things first. Three things, and then I'm done. Check your heart. Is your desire to confront motivated by love for the person? Or is it really about your ego or your desire to make them pay? Is confronting them really the best way to seek their welfare? And if it is, do it. If that's what love demands, do it. But do it in a gentle, loving way. Check your heart. Check your ears. Have you really taken time to listen to the person that you are judging? Do you understand their perspective? Do you understand what they've been through? Do you know their story? Do you know what they have tried? Have you gone to God in prayer and asked God, hey, am I seeing this clearly? Am I seeing them clearly? Is there something that I am not getting that I need to to get here to see this accurately? Have we drawn conclusions on limited information? We've got to ask that question. Check your heart, check your ears, check your hands. Are you spending the bulk of your time partnering with God to see your own logs removed? Right now, a little test is this. Can you tell, could you tell me if I were to ask you, what is the one big thing that God is working on right now in your life to transform you? If you can't answer that question, it could be you are so focused on the specks in other people's eyes. You see, removing the speck out of your brother's eye takes gentleness. It takes compassion. You can't just go after somebody's eye haphazardly, right? The only way you're going to to be able to do the good work of removing the speck out of your brother's eye is if first you have experienced God ripping the logs out of your life and have experienced his compassion, mercy, and grace in that. That's the only thing that's going to change your heart into a heart that is gentle enough to do the good work of removing the speck out of your brother's eye. Check your heart. Check your ears, check your hands. And then, if God is still calling you to confront, to restore, then take courage and do it. And you're going to have the right heart. You're going to be motivated by love. And you might just restore a brother or sister to life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that um, you have been so kind and gracious to us that you have offered your righteousness to us that we can receive through repentance and faith. And so when we stand before you one day in judgment with Christ's righteousness covering us, You will declare us not guilty. Come inherit the kingdom prepared for you. We thank you for that mercy and grace. Thank you that you didn't condemn and write us off. But you came to save, to restore, to reconcile, and to renew. 
Lord, thank you that you are so well acquainted with our ways. You know when we sit down and when we get out of bed, that your knowledge about us is complete. Your knowledge about every other person is complete. You judge and know the secret, the secrets of our hearts. Lord, thank you for taking the time to know us so completely. Lord, may we have such humble hearts knowing that we do not know everything like you do. And that's why you are a good and righteous judge. You're all-knowing. And so your judgments are always, always true, always perfect. Lord, I pray that as we look at the people around us, that knowing that our knowledge is limited about them, knowing that we struggle even to judge ourselves correctly, and knowing that if we spend our time focusing solely on judging other people, we are not going to grow spiritually. Lord, I pray that this knowledge would transform us so that we would be so much more slow to draw inaccurate conclusions. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.